0: I uh, want to thank God for uh, for Brian and his selection, and for Brother T. Marsha Jones on the trombone, uh, Brother Roy Edith on the drums, Sister Judy Thompson on the piano, and um, and of course Brother Garrett Johnson on the violin. Uh, we are blessed at Mount Zion. Um, with Garrett. Um, he is a gift to Albany for one year. He is a distinguished lecturer and artist in resident at Albany State University. As a um, pre-teenager, Garrett competed in competition and um, earned the right to be named the best violinist. Uh, in America in his age group, and then he went back and competed as an adult. And he has literally played all over the world before kings and queens and potentates and princes, and of late, he is a regular at Mount Zion. And... um, a wonderful member, wonderful member. And one of the things that I like about Mount Zion is that um, we don't fit in the box. I, I, I meet people and they say, oh, you're a black church, so they think they know what that means. <laughs> and then they say, okay, you're a Baptist, and, and then they want to put us in a Baptist box, but we don't fit in either one of those boxes. Uh, we are just uh, available to whatever the Holy Spirit uh, wants to do through us. We have no preconceived notions about how God will work. Uh, we'll just be open in whichever way he goes. And, and so you, you might hear some of anything and everything that God wants to do. Let me say quickly how delighted I am to be here at Refresh again. It's always good to be a part of a great team. Um, I, I tell the people at Mount Zion and I tell my children that uh, sometimes you are blessed by association. And so you got to be careful about the people you associate with. And I am wonderfully blessed by this association with uh, Michael and Terry and the Sherwood family and these great speakers that I have the privilege to share with um, year after year and really just their friendship and the relationship. And it's just a a joy to be counted in the number. Um, When I was probably 16... My brother gave me uh, one of the greatest joys of my life. I, I, I am not an athlete. You know, I can't jump. <laughs> but I have a brother who's also a minister um, who is 6'6 and he is a uh, dynamic ball player. He's about 62 years old now, but he still claims that he's a great ball player. <laughs> and. Uh, He played high school, and he still holds the record in in Cairo uh, for the most points scored in any high school game and the highest average. And he went on to college and had the opportunity to, to play professional ball, and the Lord changed that and called him into ministry. But at 16, I went to visit him in Richmond, Virginia, and he was playing in a summer league with NBA and, at that time, ABA basketball players. And I went and I was on the sideline watching them and all of the, the, the fellows you see on television, I saw them. And I saw my brother, they were in a huddle talking and, and then they broke the huddle and they called me and said, come on, play with us. And they allowed me to play with them. And the highlight of my life is I drove to the basket on Henry Bibby <laughs> and I, I laid the ball up over him. And of course, I know he let me, but... But still, I did it. <laughs> and I came back to Cairo and, and talked about how I got to play with the big boys. And that's how I feel in this conference. I'm, I'm playing with the big boys, and I'm, I'm glad they allowed me to have a layup. <laughs> <laughs> to all of you, my brothers and sisters in Christ and in creation, and um, to the Pastors who are sharing, and to um, all of you, it's good to be here. And I'm going to move on and preach now. Um, some sometimes I, um, when I'm nervous, I like to tell jokes and and to relax. me I, I feel a joke, but I'm 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 going to skip it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Michael sent out this email and. Um, And he talked about the theme for refresh, and and, and there were a series of questions that he posed. And in the sermons this week that I preach, I want to deal with the questions that he posed. And one of the questions reads like this. Let me find the one I want to talk about right now. (laughs) What does God have to refine, remove from us if we are to have his power? Is there there anything in us, is there anything going on with us that God has to refine or even remove before his power can be manifested in the church? And for me, that's a critical question because we need God's power. And we've had preaching so far this week about the Holy Spirit, and that's the source of God's power. And so from the book of Zechariah, chapter 4, I want to read a passage that Brother Ken Jenkins uh, touched on this morning. And repetition is real good sometimes, especially when it appears that we're not getting it. And so we keep saying it until we get it. But in the book of Zechariah, chapter 4, beginning at verse 6, it reads as follows. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word, of Lord, the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, said the Lord of hosts, Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof, with shoutings, crying, grace unto God, or grace unto it. And I want to stop right there at verse 7. And i talk about other verses, but let me just stop the reading there. And I, I want to couch this message under the heading, The Church at a Crossroads. The Church at a Crossroads. This particular passage comes to us at a very critical time in the life of Judah, the life of the Israelites. Um, You've got something going on here that reminds me of what's happening to us right now. You've got a group of people who started a process of restoration or revival and it has been interrupted. And so now they're struggling in terms of how to go on, how to reclaim what God has started. And and, and you basically got two generations. You've got a generation of folk who are older, who were a part of that rich history of Israel when they were in the promised land some of them saw firsthand the moving of God. And they heard from people who were a part of greater moves of God and they knew the story. And they were proud of their past. They were proud of the legacy that they had in their relationship with God and what God had done for them and through them. But you also had another group. And this is a group of young folk, a generation who was born in Babylon. And they heard the stories, but they never experienced it firsthand. The stories of how God called their ancestor Abraham and said to him, I want to make me a great nation. And so I'm, I, I, I choose you not because you're special or good, But because I want you, I'm going to choose you and out of you will come a great nation. I call it a sanctified nation, a holy nation. I'm going to set you apart and make you different. And out of you will come this great nation that will be my pride and joy. I'm going to bless you and bless those who bless you. And through you, all the people of the world will be blessed. They heard the stories about Abraham's descendants and And how the 12 tribes came to be and about their struggles. Heard about their slavery in Egypt and how God rescued them, sending Moses uh, as the deliverer to bring them out. And how God provided for them through the wilderness and, and even in their own sin, how they hindered their capacity to come out and enjoy God's blessing. But in spite of their sin, God still brought them into the promised land. These folk heard about the stories of, of how God just opened the way, causing the walls of Jericho to come down and defeating all of their enemies, the Amalekites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and every other ite that was in their way. God moved them all out of the way. And how God provided in the land of promise. These stories were legendary. And the characters of those stories, the, the Abrahams, the Isaacs, the Jacobs, the Moseses, the Davids, all of these were like mythical characters that this generation only heard about but never experienced anything similar to what these great men and women had. And so now, after 70 years of Babylonian captivity, God decides that it's time for them to go back. And they go back and in the book of Ezra, you will read that Zerubbabel, God's chosen man for that hour goes in and he's providing some leadership. And they are rebuilding the temple because if you're really going to restore a nation, you've got to give God his place. And so there's an altar built and then they are working on the temple so that once again, God would have the centerpiece in the life of the nation. And the Bible says that that, Temple foundation is laid. And in chapter 3 of the book of Ezra, they rejoice and have a celebration because the temple foundation is laid and there's a promise in the laying of the foundation that the work would be completed. And the Bible says that there are two things that happen at the celebration. That old crowd is crying because they remember the beauty and the splendor and the glory of the former temple. This new crowd that didn't know anything about the other temple, they're just rejoicing and happy. And the crying and the rejoicing going up together, you can't tell the difference. But then you get to chapter 4 in Ezra, and there is some opposition. And that opposition is so strong that the building of the temple is ceased. They stop working. Apathy sets in, people go on about their business, and the only conversation around there now is what could have been and what used to be. But after several years, depending upon who you read, up to 15 years, God decides it's time for revival. And so he gets a prophet by the name of Zechariah, another fellow prophet by the name of Haggai, but Zechariah is the one that we're looking at today. He sends him to Zerubbabel and the others to fire them up, to put them in a place so they can start to do what he intended. So he gets there, and no work is going on, and he puts before them, if you will, an offer and says, you're at a pivotal point and you have gotta decide what it is you're going to do. Are you going to continue to let this temple, foundation that you start lie in ruins, or will you restart the work? What will you do? And this is how he puts it before them. Here is what your problem is. The reason you have not been able to complete the work is because your focus is in the wrong place. And in terms of one of the things that we need to move out of the way so that God can work his power in us, it's the focus of the church. You know where their focus was? It was on their own abilities. That's where it was. They didn't continue the work because they were counting on themselves. And not only was their focus on themselves, but their focus was also on their enemy, the people who opposed them. They didn't think they could overcome. They never tried to overturn the ordinance that came from the king to stop the work that was orchestrated by their enemies. They never tried to overturn it because based on their focus it was too much to overcome but you said pastor simmons you you don't you don't you don't you don't really mean that's that's where we are now that our focus is on our own ability and on that of our opposition our enemy absolutely here is what i want you to do for me next time you have a little time go to any christian bookstore don't go to the pornography shop go to the christian bookstore And what you will find is a ton of books on methods and processes that have been created by people to grow, to nurture, to operate God's church. And our attention has been turned to the methods, the processes, and all these schemes in the books. And we are relying on something that somebody else put together to run the church. We we got a lot of copycat churches and preachers. Some preacher who experienced some success, he writes the book, this is how I did it, and then folk go run by it, try to copy it. That was for him. Doesn't mean God got that for me. Pastors sometime will call Mr. Simmons. I want you to help me. You know, you, you built this church, not just the building, but the people. How do you do that? And they're so shocked because I don't have anything in writing to give them. I don't have a plan. There, there, there is no master plan, but there's a master. And, 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 my, and my only word, and they look at me like I'm dumb, just trust God. That's it. I don't have a magic formula. What, what, I, I, I don't have a formula. Because our formulas get in God's way. Some of you here may may recognize this, but um, I'm going to say it anyway because he he may be somebody's friend in here. But but there's one one particular pastor. This is his evangelistic tool. Um, a visitor comes to church, and his people busily gets the visitor's card, and while that person is in church a group of people jump in their cars and they run to the homes of every visitor, and they put a lovely fruit basket on their doorstep and say, thank you for coming to our church and give them some other goodies, and that's to entice them to come back. I, I don't believe in buying members. <laughs> I, I don't believe in, in enticing folk with oranges and grapefruits and apples and... and <laughs> Because like that crowd in the wilderness, if they're coming back only because they got full, they got a a free basket, sooner or later the free goodies will run out, and there's going to be a call for some commitment. And what are you going to give them then? You're going to buy them a car next? You're going to make a deposit in their bank account next? There's, There's something called the power of the Holy Spirit that we are convinced and convict folk through the preaching of the gospel. If I got to get you through a basket, stay where you are. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need that plan. But, you know, these, these tricks, and there's, there's one thing about tricks and people. If you're getting people with tricks, sooner or later people get accustomed to that trick, and you will need another trick. And pretty soon, you run out of tricks. And, and, and what happens when, one day, just like we saw a moment ago with the sound system, what, what, if, what if there's a malfunction in your trick? When, when I was a little boy, if we had this tent, came to town and the preacher was laying his hand on people and everybody up there was falling out. And people said, "Ooh!" when I stood up and he touched me, I felt a shock. Never felt anything like that before. Well, his generator messed around. And, <laughs> and this is the gospel truth. Up under the little mat where they were standing, they had these little electrodes and they were shocking folks. and all of a sudden he lost his power. <laughs> so, so, so he told him to come back tomorrow night. And, um, so, 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 so what happens when the, when the gimmicks are gone? What happens when, when the latest, greatest strategy, and, and, and when you go to the bookstore look too, you got some books in the sale right now that used to be number one. Because that little strategy and, and scheme played out, and now there's a new fella on the block who's written a new book And all of those little schemes put the focus on us. Got, got. You know, do you know they got these little classes you could go to, and they can, they can tell you how to preach, and teach you how to uh, not, not to preach the gospel, but to preach to appeal to the flesh of people. I don't, I don't want that kind of preaching. At least I tarry too long. Our attention God can't operate on illness until we start looking out there there's too much attention given to the world by the church I mean um, we come to church and in our private conversations we we give power to the government the reason we're in this trouble is because of the way the government is and we just want and we, and we need some new leaders and new this. And let me tell you something. They don't deserve that kind of attention. We give it to the media. You know, I've heard whole sermons on, on how bad hip-hop music is. I'm not wasting my time preaching a sermon about how bad hip-hop music is because I've got something that's greater than hip-hop. And so, you know... We, We just vilify, vilify, and we give power to these things in our churches. To the pornography industry, whatever out there is bad, we give it more power and more attention than it deserves. And we keep blaming it for the reason we can't have revival, we can't experience the power of God, we can't help our children, we give it too much power. Um, Hugh Hefner is not interfering with any church's capacity to reach the world. Playboy, Hustler, and whatever the rest of them are, they're not bothering us. They're not keeping us from doing what we do because we are supposed to be stronger than Hugh. Young Jeezy, for those of you who know who he is, um... Somebody called me and wanted to come to my workshop and and come to my church and do a workshop on Jay-Z and how Jay-Z is the devil. I got some devils and and their name ain't (laughs) Jay-Z. I I don't, I don't, I don't, and some of them in me. And so I don't, I I don't, I don't need you to come spend a whole two hours telling my people about uh, the perils of Jay-Z and his music. Because if I give my attention to what I got, it it will overcome anything Jay-Z got. (laughs) But we give them power. The media, the news people, we say they are running, they are running the world. I I heard a preacher in um, Nashville, Tennessee, Mount Zion Baptist Church, that said something um, that was profound to me. He said that he was being criticized by other churches for stealing their members and um, he was being criticized for his capacity, even by church people to to pull young people out of the world and he said he was not stealing anything, he was not a thief he just grew good green grass and sheep came to graze (laughs) and if our grass was good and green hungry sheep would come See, because what all of us understand is those things that the world offer will never satisfy. But every now and then they may drop by the church and find out, well, there's nothing going on over there either. So I might as well keep moving to the next thing. Let me try this. So we need to remove from the church all of this attention and power given to the world and just stop focusing on it. Stop focusing on ourselves. Members of Mount Zion have heard this before, and one one of the things that God delivered us from is that there there was a time in our history when we reveled in the fact that in our congregation, we had some of the most gifted, well-educated, prosperous people, not just in Albany, but anywhere in the world. And we used to say in long years gone by when I was younger that because of the people we had, we could do anything. But some person called the Holy Spirit convicted us of that. And I and I hope if that's your position, when you look at the people, the position the level, level of education, the level of money that you come to the point to that you realize is not those people and who they are and what they got that enable you to do what you do for God. Because God will take somebody that can't read a lick, that don't have a dollar in the bank, that, um, that, 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 that can't even spare college, let alone, let alone been to college, that had never been to a seminary, or, or, or is it a cemetery, Wh- whichever it is, Um, God God will take that person and do more with them and through them that he can with any of us with all our um, alphabets in front of and behind our name. So what are you relying on? So, all right. So God uh, says that's where our attention is and that's what we need to get rid of. And let me just say this and then I'm going to Go back to the scriptures and give you these three points, and get on back to my seat. I think it 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 really has to start with preachers and other church leaders, because you got some obnoxious, proud, arrogant preachers who, um, mm, you know, you know, God, God, has has blessed me, and and in some instances, what I thought was going to be a blessing turned into a curse because there have been some preachers I admired from a distance, you know, they were big boys. They were, you know, they were on television, they were the book writers, they were, you know, all these big wheels. And I, I got a chance to meet them, and I hate I ever did. Because there's so much arrogance. I mean, some of them are untouchable. I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't want to even share that with you, but let me. So, here's what he says redirect your focus, and here's where I want it to be, on me. He says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. Three things I want to say is when you look at, at, uh, at Ezra and you look at Nehemiah, here's what you, I'm sorry, Ezra and Zechariah, here's what you would discover, is that the call, the call to restoration of the temple, to restoration of Jerusalem came from God. The call, the vision, whatever you want to call it, it came from God. And nothing, nothing will happen in our church until God issues the call or gives the vision. I can want something for Mount Zion with all of my heart, but if God does not want it, it won't happen. And you got to understand that these people have been in Babylon for 70 years and they wanted to go back home before then, but they couldn't go until God got ready. And here's something you can shout on right here. Just because they were in Babylon and the restoration had not occurred within those 70 years did not mean God was not working. See, some, sometimes we think God has to whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. And we, and we read about the revivals of the past, the movings of the past, and we want to see that until sometime we, we worship that. And we want to see that, and we want to usher in, and we want to make it happen. But God may be saying, I got 70 years, or 270 years. And so he says to us, like he said to them in Jeremiah 29, go ahead and settle down. Get married, have some babies, increase, don't decrease, keep on doing what you're doing. Pray for the, for, for the people in the land you're in. In other words, I'm, I'm, I'm still God. I'm working on you because if I bring you into the power of God and revival before you're ready, you can't handle it. Right. You won't know what to do with it when it comes. In fact, if it came right now, you'd be patting yourself on the back. You'd be writing a book next week about how you made it happen and <laughs> how I can make it happen at Mount Zion. When I get ready, God gives the vision. Let me share. You know, I've I made some mistakes in ministry, and, and let me share one of them with you. Um, probably my second year at Mount Zion, I um, had a gentleman, and he's a Christian gentleman. It wasn't his fault, it was mine. I had a Christian gentleman who is uh, brilliant. Uh, he led a Fortune 500 company, developed all of their plans and visions and goals. And I said, God, I got this man. He's going to do something for Mount Zion. And so we, we, we had us, one of those vision casting meetings that he led and we had little groups and they were supposed to come up with the vision of Mount Zion and what we were supposed to do and what we were supposed to go, where we were supposed to go and, and um, um, something hit me a little while after that. Again, he's a brilliant fella, and the process was good but it wasn't God. And if God doesn't give it, and, and what I want you to do for me is, Check the Bible because you may be saying, Pastor, what's what's wrong with that? Check the scripture. And God never gave a vision to a committee of people. God never, check the scripture. God never called people in a room, had them to give their ideas, write it on a piece of paper and tape it on the wall and then pull the best ideas from everybody in the room. (laughs) I mean, mean, check it out. He never took a vote on which way they ever go. God, God always gave it to a man. Now, two, not three. Now, Moses went and got another one to help him, but it came to him. Never. And see, and because we live in this democratic society, we, we, we like groups, you know, and votes and, a, and ideas and input. God ain't studying that. God doesn't care for the intelligence of the person sitting in your seat. I know you impressed with them, but God is not. If God does not issue the call for something to happen, whatever it is, it won't happen. Reverend Brian Jones is our youth minister. We were having a conversation. Um, I've been over to Albany State, and I said, there's a, there, there's a group of folk who've come in, in into the school, and and we've got to find a way to get in there. And so Brian goes over and and um and Sister Farmer Strong, who's there, and then we they, they say, Well, you an outside entity. And only organizations that are part of the school can, can do this, do that, do that, and so can't come in. So how, how are we going to get them? Bless God. <laughs> While we're trying to figure it out, um, God says to the football coach, bring, take your whole team over to Mount Zion for church. Let, let Pastor Simma pray for them. <laughs> the um, girls basketball coach, the baseball coach, the softball coach, the cheerleader coach, all the coaches. Just take them over there. And I preached, and I get through preaching, I thought, Lord, you know, I really, I missed it today. I wish I could go back and get that one. And we opened the doors of the church, and 65 come. And, 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 and then that group go back and start bringing the rest of them. And so while, while we're trying to come up with a plan, God already got it. And it won't happen until he says, it will happen. So God gave the vision. And then the capacity to complete the work was from God. Not by power, not by might, but by my spirit. When that, that word power and might, for me, it, they, they both speak to two things. One is the authority and the other is the capacity. And God is saying the authority to finish this work doesn't come from you and the power or the capacity to do it is not dependent upon you, but me. I got this. I, I, I really appreciate your partnership, but I, I got this. But you gotta trust me to have it. So you're home and scared to do the work, scared to oppose the folk who oppose you. You are measuring your, your capacity, but I really don't need you. And I'm gonna fast forward, now my time is just about gone, but but God said, the power comes from me. When you stand up to do whatever you do for God, if you're relying on your power, you operate in the flesh. But if you're relying on the Spirit of God, he has it. This particular passage for me is the Acts 1.8 of the Old Testament. In, in Acts 1.8, he s- says, I want you to be my witnesses, but he said, I want you to wait on the Holy Ghost. And after that, the Holy Ghost. These are men who had studied at Jesus' feet for three years. They knew way more than we uh, do, But he said, no matter what you know, no matter how long you've been with me, how intimate we were, I don't want you doing a thing for me until after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you because that's where the power is. The power is not in that you walk with me. The power is in the Holy Spirit that's in you. The power is not that you got all the notes from the Sermon on the Mount. The power comes from the Holy Spirit that enables you to use what you got in the Sermon of the Mount. That's where it is. And then the last thing, when he uh, start talking about these mountains and says, you know, he's using this language, uh, oh great mountain, who are you before Zerubbabel, you're going to be made plain, and he's basically saying, though your opposers seem like mountains. I mean, just fierce enemies, opposition. God says, they can't stand before you. And that's what I was trying to tell you a moment ago. We don't have to be afraid of anything that the world has out there against us. I'm not afraid. You know what? There there are people who want to take hip-hop off the air. They don't even have to take it off the air. As a matter of fact, I, I want it to stay on the air because if they take it off the air, there won't be much room for celebration. But when we defeat them, in spite of all of the exposure that they had, then it gives God more glory. Yes. I, 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 see, I want to see pornography industry shut down, not because the government shut them down, but because the church yes. shut them down. Yes. Because we've got the power. Whatever is out there, we've got the power to do it. Um, police. The sheriff's back there, and he can tell you, they can lock up as many gang members as they want to and some new ones will pop up. Because you won't eradicate it, putting folk in jail. Um, They're baby kids. They don't die, they multiply. (laughs) The black folk laughing, (laughs) y'all. I'll I'll explain that to you later on. (laughs) See, see, they they don't die. And so so you you can lock up folk from now until, and they're going to keep, keep, keep coming back. But I tell you what, the church has what it takes to change that reproduction. We can stick some new DNA in there. And so when they start multiplying, they'll be multiplying a different kind of boy, a different kind of girl. And so um, the capacity to overcome whatever is in front of us—we got it. So we got to we, we got to pick our head up. And so here here's the crossroad. Now we we got to decide today which way are we going? Are we going to turn left and keep following our own capacity? creating our own vision our own agenda looking at the world and being fearful are we gonna turn right and say God I'm waiting on you and wherever you are at work that's where I want to be are we gonna stop relying on ourselves and start relying on God are we going to be afraid of folk? and I gotta tell you my my mind is made up I've already put my turn signal on I, I, I know which way I'm going because I've had enough experience with him that I know which is the right way. You see, you see I, I am not in that group that has only heard about the goodness of God. I am not a part of that group that only heard the stories about the character whose lives were changed by God. I, I'm, 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 I'm not in that group. I, I, I know the story, but I got my own story. And, and based on my story, I'm putting my bet, my trust in God. Yeah. See, I've discovered that whatever I come up with, it will not work because I'm here to tell you, I don't even know how to go around the corner and come back. Yeah. But i tell you what, when I trust in the Lord with all of my heart and lean not unto my own understanding, He leads me right every time. Yeah. And all I've got to do is be like a sheep and wherever he leads, I will follow. And can I tell you, the first time I heard a preacher preach that, it turned me off, and I didn't want to be a sheep because he said a sheep was dumb. And and I said, not me, I'm not dumb. I've been to school, but oh, call me dummy. I rode the short bus. I'm going to stay on the short bus. I want to follow him. I got just enough sense to know. I don't know how to run my life, but if I follow him, he will show me. I got enough sense to know that I don't have any capacity at all. And so when I get up every morning, I look to the hills from whence cometh my help. And I say, guide me, O thy great Jehovah, pilgrim in this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with your powerful hand. Hold me. Don't let me fall. Hold me. Don't let me go astray. Home and don't let me depend on my own power. But I tell him, you got to give me some power. And some people say that you know, say he's crazy. He's crazy because he's not afraid of anybody, anything. And I am scared. But when I fall back and I hide, when the enemy come, I hide behind Jesus. And it's and it's not that I'm crazy and not afraid. It's that I'm positioned right. So whatever the enemy comes at me with. They got to come through Jesus in order to get to me. And I've discovered that some stuff he keep away from me. And whatever he lets come into me, he's already decided together he and I got that. And so I don't worry about that. And the last thing I say to you, to the church, if we follow him in his strength, we could turn this town upside down. Albany, Georgia, and the world can be changed if the folk in this room decide. We're not depending on ourselves, but we're going to trust God. And no opponent to the work of the church can stop us if God is on our side. People said, amen. amen, great word. Tonight, Daniel Simmons and Ed Litton, we start at 6 o'clock, that's who we'll be preaching tonight, all right? Come, bring your own pew belt because we have theater seats, so you're going to need your own belt. All right, God bless you, we'll see you tonight at 6. Supper is at 5 o'clock here, we have supper at 5 to help you in your transition coming from work.